Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Metcast, the podcast of Manchester Metropolitan University. My name is Dan Cotton and in this episode we take a look at the Commonwealth Games and look ahead to an exciting finale in netball, which has a rich history of serving up some of the game's most dramatic moments. I'm joined by Dr Sam Oldfield from the University's Institute of Sport, who specialises in sport history. We're also joined by the President of England Netball, Joe Mills, alongside Imogen Great-Batch, who is the Head of Volunteering for England Netball, and the former England Netball President, Lindsay Satori. Hi, I'm Dr Sam Oldfield. I'm a Senior Lecturer in Sport History and Sociology of the Sport at Manchester Metropolitan University, working in the new Institute of Sport. Hi, I'm Imo Greatbatch, Head of Volunteering at England Netball and also an MMU alumna. And I am responsible for the strategy for the estimated network of 26,000 volunteers in netball and also for kind of how we develop the support tools and the promotion and recognition for volunteers in netball in England. Hello, I am Joan Mills and currently uh, president of England Netball. Um, started my first netball club back in 1960 and have been heavily involved in netball ever since. Hello, uh, my name's Lindsay Sartori. Uh, I am a member of the uh, England Netball National Heritage and Archive Group. I have been a board director of England Netball and an ex-president. I My term of office came to its end in 2020. Thanks all for joining me today. Um, Sam, I thought we'd start with you really um, and just kind of a bit of a potted history of the sport of, of netball really, where you know how it originated um, and how it's kind of progressed over the years. Yeah, absolutely. So the beauty is we're, we're at a really crucial time in the history of netball. We're on its run into its centenary uh, of the national governing body in 2026 and people are unaware of is that netball has had such a long history and tradition as a women's sport as a participation sport for girls and now as we move into the new uh, era trying to fulfill that with male participation as well as obviously championing our female athletes we have the origins of the net of netball established in the 1890s, very much lit, linked to the physical training colleges for um, female physical trainers, PE teachers, essentially um, educators in England, um, and really there was a lot of diffusion of netball through these. Uh, small knits netball teaching communities that then was transferred into the schools that these teachers went to to essentially deliver to and then further out into what was the Commonwealth Nations in that period of time. So heavily linked to education which is no surprise because that's still very much evident in today's history of the sport. We start to get more competition and female leagues, tournaments, etc. As we build to towards the the forming of the national governing body in the 1920s, specifically 1926, is when 
the All England Netball Association was founded, now England Netball. And essentially, there was a peaks and troughs from 1926 through to the 1950s with different developments, which include you know, regular competition, um, acceptance of women's roles within sport, and then as we move towards internationalisation and creating a sport that can be played by all across the nations, which established our International Netball Federation in um, the late 1950s. First World Tournament held in 1963, and what was evident with that was the value of the English committee and their support for the development of netball through this time. And so they were appointed with the first officers of what was the International Netball Federation, now World Netball. And really from that point onwards, we start to get a a game that can be played by all across the world with rules and regulations that were very much unified and so I suppose in lots of ways this is where we start to get um, a bigger understanding of what we now call the game of netball. Brilliant thank you and with that in mind Joan um, you know in your current role we've kind of seen the, the the progression of the game then how do you see the kind of current climate of netball the current the state of the sport really? As you know we had um, our first Uh, Commonwealth gold medal um, in the Gold Coast four years ago Um, and that really put netball on a high and and brought it to everybody's attention and then in the following year 2019 we had a world championship over here in Liverpool and even our most critical uh, people from around the world said it was the best netball Uh, world championships that had ever happened and the atmosphere that Liverpool created was absolutely fantastic. Unfortunately, fairly soon after that, COVID arrived and then there was no netball for, um, well, 18 months, uh, almost two years. So all that media coverage that we got, we, we sort of lost. So we're really hoping now Um, with the Commonwealth Games that we're going to retain that gold medal and um, Australia will definitely be out to get us but so will a lot of the other top countries as well. Um, So where it is at the moment and unfortunately the Commonwealth Games has also coincided with the Euro football. Um, Absolutely delighted that England won but I'm fed up listening and watching football on television and I want to know where the netball is. So hopefully come Sunday when England have won their netball gold medal, uh, we'll be back up the top there and we'll get the same coverage that the football has got. Um, But I think one of the key things at the moment is that, um, you know, uh, most people uh, of a certain age learnt their netball at school. And now um, I, from what I hear, it's actually quite difficult to get sport into school these days. And I, I just think it's so essential that that's the side of the game that we grow. So, you know, even from five, seven-year-olds up to, uh, what did the chap say at the Commonwealth the other day? 90. You can play 
um, at whatever age or whatever standard, but I think it's essential that young girls get that opportunity at an early age to really have fun and enjoy a sport and get involved in sport for the rest of their lives. Definitely, yeah. And and as you say, the, the Commonwealth Games is obviously a um, huge event in the calendar for the, for the sport. Um, going mm. into the Games, um, do the, the Team England kind of set any, any goals or how is it measured at success? You obviously want to win win the gold medal. Um, but is that participation you talked about, is, is there a kind of legacy that you look for after the Games? It is. And I mean, we, we have what we call a performance pathway to get sort of the people sort of start climbing a ladder to get to the England squad. Um, but, and again, because of COVID, that sort of came to a halt for a couple of years. Um, but the girls uh, are certainly out to win. Um, you know, they're highly competitive, highly skilled, and it, it is a full-time job. You know, it literally takes over their lives. Um, they don't have much time to do anything else. And again, because of COVID, we've not had, or well, none of the countries have had that much really strong competition. Um, so, you know, everybody's sort of coming to this after a couple of years of really just playing at home. It's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult. Um, but we're certainly going out for it. I think I've been quite involved in recent governance and I know this is an area that Sam has tracked over the years as well um, and I think as a sport uh, away from the elite we have tried to ensure that the participation of netball is clearly um, communicated. Uh, I think we've had the advantage of being able to move quickly and smartly. We've developed products over the last 15 years that have responded to changes with our overarching message of making netball a sport for life. And I think the way that we have been governed, the way that we have been um, unfettered, if you like, from uh, that may be there in other women's sports has enabled us to do this and be um, quoted as not only a well-governed organisation, but the largest participation team sport in uh, in England and probably in, in the UK as well. So that's, I think, important to bring out here. And, and I'm also involved in local governance. So trying to uh, make those links that Joan was referring to, to school and education. Uh, and it's it's going to be a big challenge to get sport into schools, in particular for girls, let alone it's added to the fact that uh, football over the last few days have been very strong about getting football into every school. We wish them luck because we're trying very hard to and have been for years to get netball into every school. And But that, I think, is an advantage. And this is where women's sports, if we can get our governance right, then we can just drive the right agenda for women generally. I chose netball, could have done hockey, uh, could have done athletics. I don't like getting my dirty so and wet. So that was why I remember choosing, um, uh, choosing netball. 
And Imogen, from your perspective, have we seen any of this uh, participation and legacy borne out over the years? In regards to what we saw as the legacy from the Commonwealth Games, you know, the 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 team England winning golds that year in 2018 led to a 2,000% increase in kind of the session finder of women and girls inspired and thinking I want to get on court and that's really really kind of important and I think Lindsay and Joan have talked about that kind of participation legacy and we did see 135,000 women started playing netball sort of or played more netball as a result of that Commonwealth Games and so they really sort of did start to inspire that nation and create that fandom who then are hungry to watch netball, as Joan has said, kind of and how why it's so important for us to get it covered on BBC iPlayer like the Commonwealth Games is or beyond. You know, how brilliant would it to be have, you know, a gold medal final on BBC One? That is the dream. You know, that would be really good. But then Netball World Cup in 2019, it had a reach of kind of like 6.1 million 160,000 inspired, you know, the tickets, the visibility of the sport. These are key events to kind of accelerate the exposure of the sport that so many are passionate about, but also so many love helping inspire others. Obviously, when it comes to participation and people getting involved in the sport, um, a lot of the conversations are around the kind of barriers that have to be broken down for people. Uh, Sam, just wondered if you could uh, tell us about what you found in, in your research and your work in terms of the barriers that people might find in getting involved in the sport. From a research perspective, the issues faced within netball in terms of barriers are very similar to the issues that face women more generally in society and you know further across women's sports. The reality is that we need to be able to see it to be able to do it and so the the major focus is on those positive role models on gaining the media attention we have some of that we definitely have the role models you know there's there's thousands of women who are huge advocates for the sport that you know anybody would be proud you know to know and to to support netball's development but the reality is that needs to be visible and so that is one of the big issues that is being faced and that is why there has been such a drive towards commercializing sport making it attractive globalizing the product internationalizing the product so that it becomes more of a sport that people will value and see in different means and ways and Australia and New Zealand have done that really well which is why you know there they have the some of the only full-time paid professional athlete leagues in netball they have huge diverse populations involved in netball not just women but mixed netball and male netball uh, it is why a lot of our elite players go over to the Australian and New Zealand leagues in order to be professional athletes. Mm. And really, those are those are the things that we need to be able to do. And we are, yeah, we're doing that with the Super League, with the franchises. But we need to get the money into those leagues in order to make 
being a netball player a viable professional option for young women that then gets it on the tv it then offers that out to younger populations who want to see want to be and then that helps us to grow that participation and that's really I think you know Imogen will will tell me if I'm wrong but that's really what part of the strategy for England netball is it's from grassroots all the way through that performance ladder Mm -hmm. to build exposure to what we know is a great sport and some people just need to you know be able to see that to recognize I think there is a brilliant opportunity at the moment with our network of volunteers to be able because to get the word out there there is only certain people within netball that can persuade the BBC that they need to take us on board but there's a lot more that I believe that can be done locally in partnership with now the franchises and the upskilling that somebody like Imo is doing with our volunteer workforce means that at a local level, uh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, local volunteers were just ensuring the game happened. I think young women and older women nowadays have a plethora of skill and opportunity that's to do with media, that's to do with communication, that's to do with promotion. And I think if we can bring those sort of skills on or um, uh, exploit, I hate to use that word sometimes, but I think it's a strong word here, exploit the skills that are in the netball community and get them to use what they do at work to sell, to promote, to share that passion about netball at a local level. And and I wanted to, to touch as well on something that you've all covered there when you talk about growing the sport and for people participate, for young girls to see you know, there's a pathway there to make elite level and what they, where we go at elite level. Specifically on the um, on the partnership that the university has with Manchester Thunder, you know, the, the elite athletes there are getting, now have access to kind of the facilities that university, not just kind of the training facilities, but, um, you know, our researchers, our physios, all our experts. Is that kind of partnership, that kind of network that you talk about, is that a kind of example that you think the sport should follow and what kind of advantages do you think it will give to the sport when we have these partnerships and networks? Partnerships are really important and always have been to us. Uh, And I think the team's ethos of netball encourages those partnerships and can showcase them. But without that academic sporting background and support, I don't think certainly the Super League would not be as successful as it is today without those partnerships. So I think long may they continue. And we, as a sport that is unlike other sports, not as well funded, um, those partnerships become increasingly important. And if there can be benefit gained from both sides of those partnerships, then I, I, I think they have been and will continue to be exceedingly important. It's very much a vicious circle, you know, and until we get the publicity for the game itself at whatever level, um, you know, to encourage local authorities, local leisure centres to start running netball in their um, areas um, up to uh, the elite standard, we we need to, I think we need to increase the, um, the number of Super League teams so that there's 
you know, for me to go to mine, it's a 50 mile drive. Uh, so that there needs to be something closer. And to, to me, to get it to grow, it's got to become, it's got to come on the popular television people because that's when when spon big sponsors see, oh, this looks like a sport that's well worth following um, because it's on television, lots of people are having it. So again, to me, you know, it boils down to getting our face on the television on, on the popular channels so that everybody can see it. And uh, at the moment, um, the way things are going, I think that is the biggest thing that England Netball have got to achieve. And it, yeah, it, it, it's um, really important, Joan, but I think there's also the other part that kind of, Dan, you mentioned around the, well, and Lindsay, the partnerships across the country are really important to this, but the opportunity there around, and let's bring it back to football. When you see the football picture of the Lionesses and their team behind the team and the team on the pitch photo, we cannot underestimate. I think there's a lot of people that will see it and think that that's the tip of the iceberg success that's happened this year. But that has taken years. And that is what we're doing, kind of building that momentum through partnerships where there is, you know, sports science is a very close subject to my heart. And there's a, you know, singing happy birthday to Snowy out on the court yesterday, who is Team England's physio. Um, th there are critical roles through which universities play a key part in nurturing the development of and that skills profession who are supporting the sport to succeed through providing that provision. Now, we may not have the investment of the levels of other sports, but the skills and expertise that universities bring to nurture those kind of opportunities, whether it's through students getting experience through to professionalising the sport and getting those kind of more paid roles as a pathway, as a professional, that that is equally important to nurture, as well as the kind of public promotion that people see of the success of sport to be able to kind of be and want to be part of that. Obviously, Manchester Met, um, you know, in the recent REF and National Student Surveys have done extremely well in the fields of sport and exercise science and one of the top powers across UK institutions for sport. And so we have expertise within our new facility in the Institute of Sport to really help and hone the talent of elite athletes and our elite netballers. We have scholars who are MMU students who are also on the Rosie's pathways and into the franchises themselves. So we have those student athletes that we're teaching within the facility. We have staff who are working in research testing capacities, fitness testing, performance analysis that are supporting these organisations and, you know, especially at this point in time, Manchester Thunder. And then you have individuals like myself who are doing things in a different way, which is um, as equally important as, and that's the preservation of history, the understanding of where the the game, those individual players, the organisations themselves have come from. And all in all, we can offer something as a, as a really great package 
two different professional sports and elite sports and so I'm really happy that you know we are getting involved and are seeing the value of being part of what I believe to be you know the best sport that there possibly is. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Metcast, the podcast of Manchester Metropolitan University. Your feedback is always welcome, as are much-needed review ratings on iTunes, so if you have a moment, please head there to let us know what you think. You can subscribe to the podcast on your preferred podcast platform. That's all for now. Until next time, goodbye.